chapter 19, there's a vision. John, in, John has this vision, and Jesus appears in this vision, and this is what, what Jesus is saying. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Adam and Eve gave the keys of authority over their own souls and over their own minds, over their own hearts, and over the earth, handed it over to the devil by sinning. And now Jesus says, if you are in me, if you're willing to walk this relationship with me, I will give you back those keys. It's powerful. But, but we need to understand it's, it's not only authority in just, you know, with our circumstances or even the earth. It's, it's not arbitrary. It's very practical stuff. These keys are supposed to open doors for you. And it starts with what you think and what you believe and feel in your heart. So Jesus conquered death and he restored the authority that we lost. So in Jesus, we have authority. Say that. Without Jesus, you don't have any authority. Okay, so let's look at how Jesus, in his relationship with God, and how God the Father modeled this for us in, in the New Testament. So there's something that happens when Jesus turns 30 and he gets baptized. What is that? The heavens opened. And God the Father audibly spoke over Jesus these words. So again, think of the devil wanted to deceive by a thought. What's God doing now? He, he uses words and he speaks it over Jesus. So Jesus, he represents what we should be like. So Jesus probably already know all the information that God's going to give him. But God is modeling to what we can receive from him if we walk with Jesus. And Jesus hears, he hears, heard, heard these words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Powerful. And then we see it's repeated in, in Matthew 17, where they're in the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, John, James, and Jesus, and God again appears, and God speaks to them again, and he, sees, he says exactly the same thing. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then he adds, listen to him. The only other place that God speaks audibly is in John. It's where, in the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus is like, God, please just glorify your name. And then God speaks to him again audibly. And, it says, and he says, I've already glorified my name and I will do it again. So there must be something in this if Two, twice out of the three times that God speaks audibly, he uses these phrases. You're my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Because I, I believe God's actually trying to get into our minds, and he's actually trying to get into our hearts. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, the moment that, that Jesus received those words, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit, his ministry started. So it's even before he did anything for the Lord. Before he did any, any great stuff, 
He got these words from the Father saying, this is my beloved son. This is the one whom I'm well pleased in. So this is the most powerful thought that you can have in your mind. It's a thought of what God thinks about you. And often we have different thoughts, thoughts that's actually unbiblical. God God sees me as useless. God sees me as as somebody that that will never obey or as a failure or as an illegitimate child or as a slave or as just a servant or just somebody else that he doesn't care about. The most powerful thought that we can have that will change our lives and will set us up for an abundant life and to have an impact and to change our environment, to change the world, is this. I am a beloved son or daughter, and God is well pleased with me even before I do anything for him. So, how can that be true? How can God be pleased in you even before you've done anything? Or even some of you are, are here, but yeah, I, I, I experienced that the first time when I got saved. I experienced the loving, graceful kindness of Jesus and of God the Father, but then I messed up, Amal. I slept with my girlfriend, or I, I got divorced, or I messed, a biz, messed up a business deal, or I was dishonest there. I, I messed up, so surely the Father is not pleased with me? Yes, surely the Father is not pleased with what you have done, but He's still pleased with you. And the reason why I can say that is because I have children. Yesterday, so I think it wasn't even 8 o'clock, the two, two of my children, they they were messing around, and they, and they got, one got angry, and they were just screaming at each other. So I took them to the bathroom, and one by one, I give, gave them a hiding. And while I'm giving them a hiding, I'm thinking, yes, I love these children. And I'm actually well pleased with them, not with what they've done, but well pleased with who they are. Your identity is something different. We need to get this. If, you, if you're going to start changing the world, you're going to receive, there's going to be a resistance. And then suddenly, like, you resist, hey, but that person doesn't like me. That person is not, he's not favorable. That person actually is a Christian. He says, no, you'll never make it. But then where do you go back to? You go back to this, the most powerful thought you can ever have. God loves me, and he's well pleased with me, even before I started. And he never changes. We need to make the difference, or the, we need to differentiate between our actions, disobedience, sin. God's unwell pleased with that, but He's well pleased with you. Okay, so let's look at a few things that cloud this, this thought. The one is, you're not fully surrendered to Jesus. Because it's, it's in Jesus that we regain authority. Outside Jesus, there's no authority over your inner world. So if Jesus is not in the lordship position in your mind or in your heart, who is? Not yourself, sorry. The devil. And he's going to control your mind. And he's going to control your heart. And he's going to deceive you into giving him more authority. Even 
when you're a Christian. He's going to try and get at you. He's going to try and trick you because he doesn't actually have anything. Because if Jesus is in your life, he is Lord in, in truth. But you need to surrender to that truth. You need to get, take captive those thoughts. You need to stay with Jesus. For me, the most important thing as a, as a leader of this church, and often I, just the fear of the Lord comes over me, I'm like, I need to stay close to Jesus. Because I actually carry all of you around. Not as a burden, but as, as something that God has given me as an assignment to do. And the same with my children. We have a responsibility to stay close to Jesus. Leaders, if you're, if you're in some way or form a leader, if you want to be a leader, you need to stay close to Jesus. Because everything that you do, you just open up that door, for whether it's for the devil or for God. And there's a fear of the Lord that we're missing. We need to get, we need to ask the Lord for that. I'm going to tell you just a scary story, and this may be a vulnerable story. So the first guy that I ever discipled was a guy named Daniel von Espey. It was a, just an incredible journey with him. Like, I didn't even know that I was discipling him. I didn't even know what discipleship was. But he said to me after a year, we were spending time, we were just chatting about the, the Word, and we were chatting about um, whether it was girlfriends or life. And, he, and after, the, after a year, he was two years younger than me, he said, oh, well, wow, thank you that you have discipled me. And from that day on, I was like, wow, this is such an incredible experience. I actually added value through the grace of God to this person's life. And then we became really good friends. We actually started, we, we, we lived together and in a, in a, we were roommates at a stage. And then we started just sharing more intimately our story. And then we found out that, because most of you know I had a, a struggle with pornography and masturbation. Then we found out that the day that I stopped masturbating was the same, in that same month, he also stopped. And for me, that was like a year after all of it. And for me, that was like, Oh, Jesus. So it's not only the negative in the sense that I, I could have opened a door for him to be tempted in that way, but it's also a positive. If I stay close to Jesus, then everything that I do, the breakthroughs that I have, you will also have. And we need to carry that around. The breakthroughs that I have as, as the head of my family, my kids will have. Even the things that I don't see. And this, but the, the reverse is also true. The, the sins that I dabble in, they will also receive the punishment for that. So here's another story on top of that. So a, few, a, a couple of years after that, I started reading, uh, writing for, back then it was an Afrikaans version of News 24, Nis 24, and I just felt the Holy Spirit leading me to write the story of how I, I got set free from pornography. So and then I... I write it, and they posted it on Nisfirentwinach, and then my dad phones me. And my, and my dad says, hey, Amor, because he's a duomini. He says, hey, Amor, yo, man, I have so much respect, great courage to show it there by posting this on, online, and everybody is reading it. Wow, incredible. But I just want to share with you that I've also struggled with pornography while you guys were teenagers. And let's keep each other accountable. Incredible. Wow. So stay close to Jesus. And leave those secret sins. Just get rid of it. 
Because God loves you so much, and He is well pleased with you. Even if you're struggling with secret sin, you just need to declare this out loud and say, God loves me, and He's well pleased with me. He's not well pleased with the secret sin, but He's well pleased with me. And that will give you authority, because that is restores the authority that you handed over to the devil. And I'm, I can honestly say I don't struggle with lust anymore. I was probably the most lustful person at a stage in my early 20s. But I don't struggle with lust. And some people say, oh, but you're married. That's why you talk. But if you are married and if you had kids, uh, Luke, it's then, then your, your sexual life is completely different. So a lot of people are like, oh, but once I get married, I'll sort, it, sort out everything. No, you won't. And I had a massive compliment that my wife paid me. And she said, Amor, because I, I, in, in, our, in our dealings, and, and obviously we were romantic, very romantic, before we got married, and, and obviously we kissed and all that. And I saw that you, could, you, that you can control your, your, the physical things that happen in your body, your hormones. I saw you could control that. Therefore, I trust you more than you can think. So, guys, let's do that. Amen. Yeah, that's a little uh, digress completely. But anyway, just shared all my dirt here with you. Okay. So, sin, it will cloud you. Unforgiveness, it clouds the, the relationship you have Jesus and the authority that God has given you. Undealt hurt. So here's the thing that I've experienced now in the last while in ministry is that a lot of people would say, no, God is good and God loves me and God is well pleased with me, but it's, it's in their minds. And then then you, they get into a difficult situation that maybe somebody that's close to them passes away or they struggle with the illness or, or they get retrenched at work or whatever. And they say, like, I, I know it, but it doesn't feel like it here. And the challenge for us is to marry the two around the truth. Like God is good in your mind and God is good in your heart. I think it's, it's very specific, the prophecy that Jeremiah gives. He wants to write the laws on our minds and on our hearts. So he wants to get in our minds, but also in our hearts. So then with undealt hurt, often then what I, what I see is people had an experience where, where they felt abandoned by God, abandoned by their fathers or mothers. And because of that experience, it will always linger in their spirits. And it will always linger, especially in their hearts. So even though they know they must transform their minds and renew their minds around the truth, it still sits there. Then you need to go and back to that situation and say, God, reveal to me where you were when I lost my mom or my dad passed cancer or I went through this difficult time and then God restores that so that you can know it in your mind and in your in your heart and then the last one is the thing that clouds um, just who God is and the thoughts that God wants to place in your mind is you're not accepting of God's discipline Hebrews 12 it actually says if you experience discipline if you experience godly discipline it makes you a son so now we, we run away from when God speaks in His Word, like you're reading the Bible, and you're like, whoa, <coughs> it's hurting me, God, I need to change. And you're running away from that. 
but it's actually just God speaking to you. He says, hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm fiddling around here because I want to fit you into the assignment and give you this thing so that you can change the world and you can fulfill your full potential. But we are running away. We are running away from the hard words. You're going to read the Bible and every word that speaks to you and it wants to change you, like say, thank you, Jesus. I am your son. I am your daughter, and you are well pleased with me. Great. Can we get the band up? Okay, so this is where we're going to start. We want to challenge, I want to challenge all of you. You need to go and get this from the Lord. I cannot give this to you. Like, I want to model it to my children. I, I try and model it as good as possible. I speak to them in these, with the, in these terms. I, I tell them, hey, I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. And I, I can do that to you too. And we need to model this in our community. But you need to go and get this from the Lord yourself. You need to spend time alone. Go, go to Wilderness Beach. Walk along the beach. Scream out to God, God, tell me that what, how you feel about me. Reveal it to me. Change my mind and change my heart. Because if we're going to start doing what I feel God wants us to do, and that is to change George and to change the environment, we're going to get to a place where there's resistance. And then we don't want people like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, that person hurt me. Oh, they don't like me. Oh, they tell, tell me that I'm in this charismatic, wild church. And oh, man. Oh. No. You're going to say, hey, all my insecurities are gone. All those that still remain, I, I'm working through them because I know the truth. And the truth is that I'm well loved and God is well pleased with me. So, you need to get that from, the, from God, but then we need to model it in our culture. We cannot communicate performance love. So, um, hey, welcome Andy. Andy from Ireland, your wife. Sorry, Andy. I don't know your name. What's your name? Anna. Oh, great. Mikey, you, you, you just, you've been here for a while, man, like furniture. But they, he, they, they, their leader at Sports Academy is a good friend of mine, and and his son, Max, will ask at school, you need to complete the sentence. My dad is proud of me, da, 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 dash, dash, dash. And then the assumption was that something, he would say something like, my dad is proud of me when I clean my room. And then he, he apparently just said, my dad is proud of me because I'm his son. So we want to model it like that. God is proud of me. Because I am his son. And when I speak to people, when I speak to my friends, we just model this. I am, I'm proud of you because you're my friend. I'm just proud, I'm proud of you. 